Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? Good, Connie. Good. Hope you're well. Uh, appreciate everybody listening today. I'm in a pretty good mood, but don't think I can't get a little bit uh, crotchety. <laughs> we like uh, red ass, JR. And red I think- ass. That son of a bitch is red ass today. Uh, so I'm, I'm back in Oklahoma, uh, and I'm, I like that. So, uh, headed back to Jacksonville soon because this Saturday night, we got ourselves a dandy little pay-per-view called full gear and Tony Schiavone's birthday. And what's that? And what is that same day? No kidding. Yeah. It, r- right there in Jacksonville this Saturday, the Bulldogs will play the Gators in the Jaguar stadium. Then as soon as the game lets out, Tony's going to scurry over and to Daly's place right next door and throw on his AEW jacket and celebrate his birthday with a little pay-per-view full gear on top. Well, we don't know who it's going to be. I guess by the time you're listening to this, we found out last night, but how about FTR versus the young bucks? How about Moxley versus Kingston? How about Matt Hardy versus Sammy Guevara? JR, you guys have taken your time telling these stories and. A lot of folks have had these matches circle for a long time, especially perhaps none more than FTR and the young bucks. This is going to be, uh, quite the matchup this weekend. Yeah, it's a good card. Tony Khan's done a nice job, uh, to put together a card that has good storylines. The backup story, the stories going into the event, uh, are meaningful. They've been, I think uh, we've tried anyway, to tell good stories and, and, uh, to, to build it up. Uh, you know, you know, Moxley and Eddie Kingston is going to be violent. I, I suspect I'm not predicting. Well, like I say I'm predicting they're going to be, that's going to be a bloodbath. Uh, you, you, you got to have a little Clarent, uh, the crimson mask of pack song, man. Uh, we'll have to, ha- that, you need that for a night quit match. You need to, it has to be violent, but the simple state sake of booking a night quit match, you know, it's going to have a little bit of uh, piss and vinegar in it. So I think that's going to be interesting. You know, we talked about last, last time about match times. And I went back and looked at this show we're doing today and the match times absolutely made sense. Uh, there were two matches given more time and the, they're, they're the exact ones that I would have signed more time. And, uh, so it'll be interesting to see how the show is time because all those guys, every match you mentioned, those guys are going to think they all need 20 minutes. We got to tell our story. And I say the same thing. What is the, 
what's a quarterback of the NFL do when he's in a two minute warning? Wait, no, no, no. We can't have a two minute warning right now. It's I need more time. I need more time to drive my team to the end zone. 20 two minutes is not enough. Well, tough shit. Be a player. So I'm, I'm thinking that, uh, that's going to be interesting that on show day, the, the lobbying of Tony Khan for more time or whatever is, uh, going to be really kind of comical to watch. And, uh, of course the talents are going to wait till the last day. So that's when the revisions come and, you know, we got to acquiesce to some of these cats that have uh, big egos and apparently very low self-esteem of their own work that you got to have, oh, I got to have it. So I, I'm, I'm interested in that little backstage aspect of the show. <laughs> Jim, I thought we were trying to sell the pay-per-view. Come on now, get it on fight TV this weekend. Celebrate with Tony Schiavone. And yeah. you want to talk about an insider's wrestling dream, uh, FTR young Bucks. And I got to tell you the promos leading up to this Eddie Kingston. First of all, I am a homer for Eddie Kingston. I've been a fan of his work since so four. I've always thought this guy needed a shot at the big time for whatever reason. People took a pass on him. He believes it was because of his physique. But man, when he opens his mouth, he's believable. He's credible. And he's going toe to toe with his old pal, John Moxley for the world title. It's going to be something else, man. I'm really looking forward to those two. You know, anytime Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara are out there, they're going to make some news together. I don't expect this to be any exception. Of course, Kenny Omega's on the card, Jericho MJF. It might be one of the better pay-per-views of the year based on yep. the way it looks on paper. I'm not downplaying this pay-per-view whatsoever. As a matter of fact. Uh, because of the stories and how they've laid out and how we built in a deliberate, understandable way, I'm more in, mentally or emotionally invested in this pay-per-view, uh, than I have been in any other pay-per-views that we've had. Uh, it's just such a well-told stories. You got get top talents in key positions. Uh, I think that's really cool. I know that, uh, Tony Khan is not a big, let's have a count out or a DQ, just not a Dairy Queen, but a disqualification, a guy. Uh, so no, I think this is going to be a hell of a pay-per-view. And the reason I bring that stuff up is because it, all those times and all that mental preparation fits into the, the chemistry and how the show's going to flow. Right. It's a, it's a heavy duty wrestling show. That'll be three hours long and it'll, I think it'll kick ass. I really, truly do. And Tony's birthday is there and. God bless him. You know, Tony and I came, we took, we just uh, taped a bunch more footage for, uh, on the road again. And, uh, which is becoming one of my favorite things to do. You know, we, we left, uh, Jacksonville at six in the morning and got to Atlanta airport at, at 11 AM for my flight to Oklahoma. That way I could only take one flight and I'm a little more protected from the COVID. Uh, and we told some great stories and had some fun, but we're both really enjoying it because it's just two guys having a conversation and we talk about all kinds of shit that sometimes we wondered, are they, are the fans going to like this? And based on what your, your feedback, they're liking it pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I think they're going to like today's episode that we're bringing them today. Cyber Sunday, 2006. We're covering this one because it happened. Gosh, 14 years ago today at the U S bank arena in Cincinnati, Ohio. 7,000 paid in attendance here. It's the first of three cyber Sunday pay-per-view events. I guess it's really considered more of a continuation of the taboo Tuesday concept for back in 04. And this is uh, interesting because a lot of fans, especially during the pandemic era have started to say, Hey, perhaps what WWE needs to dust off 
is the old internet voting pay-per-view concept. What do you think of the concept of an interactive pay-per-view? Well, I like the concept. Uh, I like, I like anytime we can, uh, uh, create a scenario where the fans have more of a hand in, uh, in, in building a show, uh, and constructing the show. I like, I like fan interaction. I like to, I like the fact that <clears throat> when you do something like that, you can't ignore the feedback. So, uh, I, I had, I liked the concept because it was, we were coming into an era. We're talking 14 years ago, as you mentioned, you know, the internet was still, I don't want to say it was brand new, but it was still growing and, and getting into everybody's home to a degree that you could go on your computer and, and, uh, and participate. So I like the concept very much, but, uh, unfortunately the show as we'll talk about had its moments and it had its not so moments, but that's kind of the nature of the beast in, in the, in a, this subjective world of pro wrestling. So, uh, concept, solid execution, hit and miss. You know, what's interesting too, is you would think sort of from an old school promoter standpoint, you need to, to advertise, Hey, what are our, what are our stars doing? What are, what's our big match? You know, what's the headline attraction? Because I think there would be some hesitation from buyers to say, well, I don't know if I want to pay to see something when I don't really know what it is. And maybe that's a little old school, fuddy duddy thinking because we do 228,000 buys on pay-per-view that's down from the prior year, uh, back when the event was still called taboo Tuesday, uh, it was 250,000 buys, but there's not a lot of seats sold here. There's 5,000 tickets sold. The rest of that 7,000 number is paper. All of the upper deck is blocked off and it doesn't feel that long ago that the company with everything they touched was on fire. We're definitely on a downward trend here. Do you think that says more about the state of the company, you know, six or this concept individually? Oh, I think it speaks more to the state of the company. We, you know, this show didn't have uh, stone cold on it. It didn't have the rock on it, for example. Uh, and they were the, they, their, their legacy, their shadow was still very vivid in the, in the landscape. So, uh, it was just a, a fact of who's over. And, uh, what, what, what baby face on the card is really hot. And, you know, there were some good matches on that show, this show we're talking about. Uh, but you're right. You know, I think the smart thing that we did, we did mention there, there's a, here's the matches. These matches are going to take place, but there were, there were things that we didn't know were going to be announced until showtime till the voting ended. And so consequently, uh, uh, you know, the. They wasn't totally in the dark. In other words, you know, you knew some things, some matches were booked. Just didn't know the stipulation or you didn't know the referee or whatever it may be. But I, I, uh, so I, I think they had a little bit of a feel for what it was going to be like. Uh, and, and, and 228,000 buys, uh, is not horrible for a B show. Uh, and uh, that's what this was. It was a, it was a B show like pay-per-view. And, uh, so maybe we should be thankful that we did 228,000 buys. Let's talk about some other news and notes as we head in here, Eric Bischoff's book controversy creates cash debuts at number 16 on the New York times bestseller list. It's the highest placing of any WWE book since Ric Flair's book, uh, what two and a half years prior to this, the nostalgia for the attitude era was very much in play. 
And that's gotta be one of the reasons that Eric books, Eric's book sold so well, right? Oh yeah. The product, well, the product was hot, right? The brand was hot. It had momentum. And also Eric wrote a great book. So, uh, and I, I was, I was happy for him. You know, he, he put a lot of time and effort in, uh, in putting pen to paper on that thing, so to speak. But, uh, congratulations to him on that deal. It was a, I read the book. I liked the book, you know, it was, uh, his, his view from his eyes, from a very unique position, uh, on a, on a company that had so much fanfare and so much uh, hoopla hoopla. I want to get that in, uh, that, uh, you know, it, it, it had interest people that were interested in it. And so, uh, interesting though, good, good for him and, and a good book. If you haven't read it, folks, you might want to check it out. In October, the Marine starring John Cena was released in movie theaters. It grossed over $12.8 million in the first two weeks. It would wind up doing a worldwide box office gross of 22 million. And a lot of people still think it's probably the best WWE movie ever. Did you ever see the original Marine? What'd you think of it? And what did you think of Vince really taking a run at making movies? Well, I thought it was a good placement. I thought it was, we had the great machine to promote it with. That's the bottom line. We could promote our movies or any other products with, uh, with, uh, our network. And you had, you had raw, you had SmackDown, you had the online, you had all kinds of stuff to promote with. So we could control the promotion and, and, and provide our own promotion for it. I saw that movie two or three times. Actually, I thought John Cena did a great job. I thought the story was, was easy to follow to understand. And we saw there what we're seeing more now and have seen the last few years that John Cena, that the rock's not the only great actor, uh, you know, rocks at a different level. Don't, don't get me wrong in that regard, uh, as far as blockbuster, big time movies, but we've seen now that John Cena, this, this wasn't a fluke performance with John and the Marine. He, he was, he was really born for this kind of stuff. And so I, I, I enjoyed that movie and I think you're right. It's probably one of the best movies that, uh, that, that they have done. It had to make money. It had to get in the profit side. I'm hope I'm, I'm thinking, I'm guessing here with a 20, 20 plus million dollar gross. Uh, so anyway, uh, it was good. It was a good film. And that's another one you might want to check out sometime on a cold winter day, uh, check out the Marine and see how John, how his acting chops were for his first outing. It's pretty damn good. Boy, there's some news and notes backstage. I can't wait to get your opinion on one of which is Ted DiBiase. He's 52 here. He's being let go as an agent as November rolls around and uh, Meltzer would say he was well-liked by most, but was criticized for having trouble communicating the finishes. The office sent to him to give the talent. He had been moved to ECW and gained a reputation as giving honest reports for shows. There was even a report that he had been asked to come out of retirement and do occasional matches. But he turned the request down, citing neck and spine injuries from his career. Why don't you think it worked with DiBiase, one of the all-time in-ring greats? Why didn't it work for him as an agent? That was a system fire. He just Teddy was too honest, and uh, he's always been an honest guy. Uh, he, he's got great product knowledge. You know, he's he's a he, his family was in wrestling. His dad, his mom, you know, and Teddy had a great run in territories and at WWF. Uh, so he had all the, his pedigree and his resume were wonderful. I just think sometimes Teddy might've been too honest, which is, you know, unique to say that you could be too honest, but you know, uh, that those, those agent reports were read by a lot of people 
And so if somebody, if you put that on the age report that, well, it wasn't a good night, uh, the show didn't live up to its hype or this match was not what we wanted it to be, whatever. Every, there's so many people that got those age reports, which I always complained about. Uh, I thought too many people had privy, had information of that. So, but bottom line is people outside the wrestling bubble within WWE were reading those agent reports and then they, they don't know any different. They think, well, hell we're in trouble. And so it was unsettling for some of those people to read those agent reports. They weren't glowing and, uh, and Vince didn't like that. And, you know, Teddy's trying to sell, Teddy may have been trying to sell a finish that wasn't a good finish. He may have been trying to sell something that he didn't believe in. Uh, I can understand that, but, uh, you know, the communication aspect of it was what got him and not his product knowledge or his ethics or his character or anything like that. You know, it's just, and, and, and we knew, you know, well, let's, we can get some matches out of the million dollar man. Well, Teddy wasn't physically able to do it. He's flirting with disaster with, with, when you got neck and spine issues, man, where, where does that focus on? It focus on, it's focused on when you take a flat back bump and it's hard to work a match without taking a flat back bump. And so that puts stress on the, on his injured body parts. And, and you know, he, he's ended up having to have several surgeries. So I think Teddy made the right decision, but then that would illustrate to some who didn't work DiBiase supporters, Conrad, that he's not a team player and nothing could be farther from the truth couple other news and notes backstage. Stephanie McMahon is going to be coming back full time at cyber Sunday. She's been out of pocket for maternity leave. Did you notice a change in the way the business was ran or show day or the way the, the shows were written or what did you notice? If anything, when Stephanie would step away for a bit, nothing, it's still run by Vince and, and Vince didn't make special provisions to any large degree. That would deviate, uh, from the, uh, norm of, of, of game day. So I didn't notice anything any different, quite frankly, you know, it's, uh, we knew that when she was there, she was going to be a part of the show. And quite honestly, you know, taking after her dad, she was a great heel. So I didn't ever, ever have a problem with that. Situation. I've said that on the show many times, Stephanie was a great heel. She, she felt it. She believed in her, her persona. And, and I thought it worked out pretty good, but no, no major changes, quite frankly, no, oh, Stephanie's here. None of that shit. That's good for the dirt sheets, but it's not real. It's not realistic. Well, it's realistic that if they've signed a, uh, a big star from the independence, uh, a development deal will be inked in November for Claudio Castagnoli, who we know is going to become Antonio Cesaro. And then eventually just Cesaro. But he signs his development contract here. He's uh, slated to start at the beginning of 07. Would this have been someone that Regal would have found or Briscoe? Or how did Claudio get on your guys' radar? It feels like somebody you would have been enamored with. But I know by yeah. this point, Johnny Ace is spearheading talent relations, I believe. Mm -hmm. He was. Uh, well, it was a no brainer hire. You're right. I would have been in love with that. I'd, have, I'd probably had him hired earlier uh, because he, he did great work in the Indies. He had a nice run at ring of honor uh, as I, as I recall, Yeah, but he, he was the kind of guy that you wanted to, again, I, I say this a lot. He, he's the kind of guy you wanted in your locker room. He was a true pro always in great shape, uh, can work. The thing about him is he could work with anybody. And in a transition period, like the 
he was in in 2006, uh, having a guy that's solid in the locker room that can enhance any talent and make them better than they actually are in, the, in their matches. Uh, he was a, he was a, he was a great hire. The only thing that, that he didn't have, uh, was a lot of charisma and he since has worked on that and has got a nice TV persona right now. So, but he's a, he's a great hand. He really is. He's a great hand. And he's the kind of guy that I would think that, uh, Vince will want around for a long time after he, after he stops wrestling, but the son of bitches is such great shape. He's durable. Uh, that that's, that's going to be a while. So he, he was a good get for us. He just didn't have the personality. He's the one that the, you know, some creative people say, well, let's put him under a mask or let's, uh, you know, we'll put him in a team and, and he'll be, he'll have a more charismatic partner or whatever. Somewhere along the way, the individual has got to make his own way. He's got to make his own impact charisma wise, personality wise. And I thought he did that. Another talent who's coming in here. Alpha junior signs a developmental deal the week of October 30th. And, uh, we know he's going to become Manu from 07 to 09. And then he's going to be released that February in hindsight. That is kind of shocking considering the legacy that, you know, his family has in the business. Why didn't it work out for Alpha junior? Do you think? I think he just was still green and still developing and still trying to find his way. Uh, you know, he, he kind of got stereotyped into the quote unquote, typical, uh, uh, you know, uh, typical Samoan persona and that had been seen a lot. Yeah. So it wasn't new, a good kid, good kid. And, and, uh, but you know, and I'll, I'll be, I'll be frank that, you know, the, the company gave him plenty of opportunity as far as time was concerned. Cause he was there, what, like three years, right? You said, yeah, he came in in 06 and then, uh, left in early 09. So, I mean, yeah. more than two years for sure. So he got a chance. It just didn't work out. He wasn't quite ready for that level. Uh, but you know, a good kid, you know, I got lots of respect for Alpha and Sika, you know, I've known them since the mid South days, they were one of the great heel teams of all time, but you know, it doesn't mean that your kid's going to be as good as you. You know, there's and a lot of kids following their father's footsteps or find themselves in challenging positions. Your, uh, your relative there, your in-law, David Flair is a good example of that. Yeah. Great, great kid. Look good, but he, he could never be Nate. And that's not David Flair's fault. It's just, you know, it's just what it, what it was. So, and we can give chapter and verse on a lot of, uh, wrestling. Maybe we should do a show sometime on wrestling families, uh, that where they the, the fathers were more impressive than their sons. You know, you look at like a guy like Randy Orton, where Randy Orton superseded anything that his grandpa did, who was a hell of a heel to Bob Orton senior. And then uh, cowboy Bob, amazing talent in the ring. And Randy has superseded him. So that it didn't always work that way. So, uh, but I think that's what it was. You know, at least the kid got a couple of years to give it a try. Don't remember him being any problems, but it just, it unfortunately just didn't work wrong time for that gimmick. Afford anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. Let's talk about uh, his cousin because his cousin makes the observer. Uh, his cousin Joe, who's playing ball at uh, Georgia Tech, uh, he was uh, under WWE consideration, but he had publicly said he's not interested in wrestling until after he has a run in the NFL. But Meltzer would note in the Observer that his cousin Joe has an awesome look with long hair and crazy tattoos, and is said to be already a great talker. And of course, we know that eventually Joe would become the big dog, Roman Reigns. It's kind of fun to look back and think that they had his eye on him 14 years ago. Yeah. He changed his body immensely. He was a 300 pound, uh, nose tackle for Georgia tech there in the ACC. And, uh, you know, we, he was on before Laurinaitis took over talent relations. He was certainly on my radar and we were all aware, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd Michael Hayes, different guys. Cause Hayes was close to the Samoans and lived in that, that, uh, Pensacola area grew up there. Uh, you know, got, have you seen, have you seen the sickest kid? Of course I have. Yeah. But like you said, he had a, he had a football to get out of the system. And I encourage that quite frankly, you don't want somebody to come in and not be sure that they're at the right place for them. So if he got a chance at football and he didn't make it for whatever reason, then he gets it out of the system. And then here we go. So, uh. Same thing, same analogy I'd use for Ken Shamrock, who could not get MMA out of his system. And he had a, he was getting over like a son of a gun in, in WWE, at least it was in my eyes. And then all of a sudden he's, you know, he can't get, he can't keep talking. He keeps talking about these fights. I can do this in three fights. I can do it. So finally it was just a matter of, you know, you need to go get this out of your system. Then we'll, we'll bring you back. And, uh, anyway, well, that's- I'm, I'm glad you uh, brought up MMA because Kurt Angle is going to make the news here in a big way. And I can't believe this is even a real thing, but he leaves the company he's released in September and it's a big surprise to everyone on the outside. But Meltzer would say it wasn't a surprise to anyone close to Kurt or familiar with the situation. We know he's going to wind up going to TNA wrestling. They, they announced that they've signed him, uh, fairly quickly and they're collecting a lot of big stars at this point in TNA. But before he signs there, he at least flirts with the idea of doing MMA and he tells Bubba the love sponge. So, you know, it's a credible story uh, <laughs> that pride offered him $30 million for a five-year deal for 15 fights, which would be 2 million per fight. And that the UFC offered a gargantuan sum for him to fight Daniel pewter, who famously had a, a little dust up on an old episode of SmackDown when they were doing the tough enough concept, a lot to unpack here. Obviously at this point, you're out of talent relations. Did you know this Kurt angle thing was coming to a head or were you surprised when the news comes down that he's leaving? Wasn't surprised at all because Kurt was having some issues, you know, uh, he, he was having some issues with, uh, uh, some drugs, opiates, uh, opiates, big time. He had a lot of pain. He had a bad neck. It was well-documented. I won the Olympics with a broken frigging neck and he did. But it started, it, that wasn't going to leave when he left the amateur wrestling, the neck injury didn't leave with it. It stayed. Right. And so I knew that, uh, you know, Kurt was, 
you know, perceived to be, uh, in, uh, you know, affected, you know, he was, you know, he, he had, a, he was having a hard time managing his pain, which, uh, you know, I think the, all that MMA $30 million and this and that I think was a, uh, uh, a, pl- a ploy to get more money. So in other words, I got, I have options. So when you got a, when you're like, you're like Dixie Carter and you're, and you're signing these, these top guys like Sting and Hogan, uh, they don't have the other options as far as MMA is concerned physically. So, uh, they, they're, I don't, I don't want to say a one trick pony, but you know, Angle did have the ability to be an MMA fighter. I don't know how successful he would have been because, you know, uh, the, the whole striking game would have been brand new to him. And remember Conrad, he won a gold medal in wrestling, not boxing, not striking. So I don't know how that would have worked out, but I think Kurt's, uh, uh, tenure there was, was running short and the patience was running short in the front office. And, uh, so it was just decided that, you know, we may have a real mess on our hands here and we, we might want to make a move and get him off our roster because we're afraid that he's going to, uh, uh, you know, he's going to do too much one day and he's not going to wake up. So, and he, you know, what, what do you do? You, you, you can't force a guy to go to rehab. You can't put a gun to their head. And so the only thing that they had to do, is just like the old, my old theory of problem solving. I'm either going to solve your problem or I'm going to eliminate it Yeah. as a head talent relations guy. And I think that's what they came to. It's unbelievable that he's out of here and he winds up with TNA. I'm sure we'll talk about it another time. Uh, let's move around and talk about another contract that is making the news. It's written. Jim Ross is working under a very short term contract extension. No word on his future. They don't have any backup announcers waiting in the wings. So it's not like a departure is imminent. He may just keep signing short terms. What's the story with this? Were you not willing to commit to WWE? Did Jan want you to come home or is this a Vince deal? Well, it wasn't a Jan deal for sure. Uh, uh, well, my contract expired and we didn't come to terms pretty, pretty from a business standpoint. So what we, <clears throat> what we were doing was just doing these little extensions. Uh, until we got a deal done and I was hoping for a longer term deal in 2006 and I got a one-year deal so that it was, the writing was on the wall for me that I was, you know, they, they, Vince wanted me out. He wanted to go young, pretty guys, sports center guys, uh, Todd Grisham kind, kind of guys, you know, Grisham and uh, Maria were the host of this show. That's what he wanted. That's the look that Vince, uh, was enamored with not me and Lawler. And so, uh, cause we're both, you know, getting up there, uh, as far as the TV years, I guess, are concerned, I looked at that as a positive, not a negative. So we, I, my contract expired. We couldn't come to terms on a new deal. Uh, they were a little slow on the trigger figuring it out. If they could have found someone to replace me that Vince would have been pleased with then, uh, I would have, would have got those little extensions because he didn't want me out. And the irony of that is, is that, you know, coming up, uh, the, the very next, not even a year later in the spring of 2007, Lauder and I both went into the hall of fame and the plan was that was going to be, well, we'll do something nice for Jr. We'll put him in the hall of fame and, 
whether he deserves it or not, doesn't matter. And that'll be his going away present because in the fall of 2007, it had been told Todd Grisham had already been informed that he was going to be the new voice of raw and Jr. He said, I remember him telling me, I said, what about Jr.? So don't worry about Jr. So uh, that's <laughs> nobody did, but you know, I was, uh, that's how that worked out. So in the irony of that deal, Conrad, you know, you and I were talking before we went on the air, uh, after all that turmoil and that chaos and calamity, uh, I stayed until 2018. Yeah. 12 more years of that shit. Knowing you're not really wanted, you're not the first choice, uh, because of my Bell's palsy, my Southern accent, being a chubby guy, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't have the TV look that McMahon, you know, jonesed for. So that's how that worked out. And yeah, I got to a certain point where I just had to stop worrying about it. I couldn't control it. And I learned that, that was one in, in 2006. I learned a great lesson. Don't go crazy and worry about things that you cannot control. Yeah. Simple as that. And I used to worry about everything. And, uh, of course I had a roster to babysit and take care of. So I worried about them. I worried about, you talked about the Kurt deal. I worried about Kurt, for example, cause I love Kurt. I still do. He's a Pittsburgh guy and he's, you know, Jan's a Pittsburgh girl and they, they, they had that bond of Steelers and all the pirates and all that stuff. And, you know, golly, uh, what's that place that all the, got the great sandwiches there. Uh, for body or something like that. Yeah. For, for Manny brothers. There you go. Yeah. 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 For Manny brothers. So, you know, this, all these little bonds that make the Pittsburgh Pittsburghers, uh, you know, come together. Uh, so anyhow, that's, that's how that worked out. And I just, <clears throat> I just went to work and Lawler told me, tell me every week. Well, did you hear anything? Nope. What are you going to do? I'm going to work. I'm going to work until I'm told I'm not going to work. What options do I have? So that's how I, I finally got to that place and it became better. And, uh, and I got a little KFED story. I'll tell you when we get to it, but, uh, it's just, I, I wasn't, I wasn't happy, but at least I was getting paid. I was doing what I love to do. And I took those as wins, big wins that superseded uh, the, you know, the, 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 the movement, the movement or lack of movement on my contract. So it's uh it was an, it was not a happy time in the fall of 2006 when, uh, when this show here uh, took place in October of that year. Well, it wasn't a happy time unless you were a big fan of Vito, the WWE is going to announce that Vito that's right. Vito is going to do a photo shoot for playgirl. Meltzer would say everyone I talked to this weekend was appalled and confused. Several males noted that as heterosexual males, they knew a good looking man when they saw one and Vito was not a good looking man. WWE.com <laughs> noted that nothing would be shown penises, etc. Yes. I use the plural, uh, and that things would be strategically placed. So playgirl readers won't see everything. Meltzer would say, I have no idea who this is supposed to appeal to. I figure telling gay dudes or straight women that you won't see his penis is a bad selling point for a soft core porn mag, but it's not like telling nine gay men that his penis won't be visible, will convince them to pick up the magazine and check it out. I, I I'm just scratching my head here. Uh, what do you remember about <laughs> Vito and Playgirl? Sometimes you have to, to detach from the ridiculousness. <laughs> 
and uh, to spend a lot of time uh, contemplating the uh, possibilities for Big Vito in Playgirl. You know, he was wearing that dress, uh, he's cross-dressing in public and all and doing it to get publicity, to try to quote unquote, get over and create an identity for himself. He was a, he was a career preliminary guy and uh, fundamentally sound, yep. not a bad worker, not a bad worker at all, actually. But, uh, that was a silly road to travel in my view. And so sometimes when you get on those roads, again, the things you can't control, you just take an exit. Take the next exit. Let's go someplace else. And that's kind of what I did there. I thought it was ridiculous. And, and I, I like Meltzer's analogy, you know, it didn't make any sense. It really didn't make any sense. <laughs> it was a, it was a hot shot deal to hopefully, you know, get him over, but to get him over and what do you, I don't understand. We put our, put ourselves in positions where all of a sudden now the, what was he, what is he bisexual? Is he gay? Is he, what is he? So whatever he is, whatever you're going to frame him to be, you're going to make that, that, uh, uh, and that illustration, that, uh, description, a negative one. So I don't know who it helped. It didn't help anybody. It never got off the ground. I don't believe it's just, I don't know. Not something I expected for us to be covering in the news. There's something else that makes the news that I want to bring up because it caught my attention. The WWE files a lawsuit on October 12th in state court in Connecticut against both THQ and Jack specific toys, attempting to get out of a contract with them and put their video game license up for bids. It's a new lawsuit as there was apparently a previous attempt to get out of the license by claiming the license agreement happened because a WWE official who's now since been fired had been bribed. What do you remember about this? That somebody was on the take to, uh, direct the business to one outside vendor or another. Well, I can't remember the guy's name. His first name was Jim. Uh, he, cause I, I worked with him a lot. Uh, God dang, I should know his name, but anyway, he got busted, uh, for kickbacks and things. He got fired and there might've even been a lawsuit involving him. I'm not real sure. Uh, but it was a dirty deal. There's a lot of backstage back off the radar type things. I think WWE. He was very, uh, uh, they needed to have a suit. They need to get out of this deal. And that was how to do it. So I, I, I didn't think that was a bad lawsuit. It made sense, but the guy, uh, Jim, uh, he just, he was, he was, uh, you know, getting the kickbacks from the, from these companies because he could put the deal through. In other words, if that's the only deal you got and he's not shopping other deals, for video games, then that's what you go with. He had the, he inadvertently, only inadvertently, he kind of off the record had the WWE by the short hairs. And so consequently, uh, we became, you know, a prisoner to his negotiations or lack of negotiations for other, other companies is how I understood it. But nonetheless, it was a, it was a well-deserved lawsuit. It served them well going forward. Cause, uh, I know they got their, they got their relationship eventually with two K, which they have now. And, uh, that's, and, and, and that has been in the past, uh, when the brand was hot, very lucrative for talent. Let's talk about some other talent who's coming into the company and well, they're not going to last very long. Tully Blanchard quits the company after a report that JBL went off on Tully at the October 24th, St. Louis TV tapings. And once that story made its way to the internet 
and it was described as an ugly scene. That was all she wrote for Tully. Uh, Meltzer would say the observer reporter JBL told people all day. He was anxious to see Blanchard who had just started a few days before as a producer. JBL said when he first broke in the business, Blanchard treated him like shit. As Blanchard was watching the show in front of many, JBL cut a promo on him, calling him a hypocrite who used God to make money, a liar, a cheat, a drug addict, and an asshole. And those are the nice things he said. <laughs> and Meltzer said he was told JBL was quote, terribly unprofessional. And the people who believe Blanchard probably did shit on him early in his career. Well, it didn't matter. A few days later, Blanchard quit. <sighs> I guess in some people's circles, they would call this a receipt. Others would call it bullying. Uh, others may say two wrongs don't make a right. What is an older, wiser uh, no room in my carry on for negativity. Jim Ross, think of this story. I think that, uh, John Laurinaitis did not handle the matter very, very well. Uh, JVL should have been, uh, uh, reprimanded either fined, suspended, but correct and address the issue. You know, uh, John Layfield's a very talented guy. And I thought he. He, he developed as a finally got the break that he's looking for his whole career and he became the WWE champion, all that good stuff. And was a good champion. I never, ever knocked Johnny for that, uh, for his work. You know, he was, was he multifaceted he was a brawler, but he was a good psychologist and he was a good promo guy, but John has a, a propensity at times to really be outspoken. Uh, we, you know, I can say the same thing about ourselves at times, no doubt. Sure. You know, so, uh, but that's his personality. And, uh, John was very influenced by Murdoch, Dick Murdoch and Dick Murdoch was very outspoken about things. He shouldn't be outspoken about like race. J I'm not saying JVL was outspoken about race, but Murdoch, that was one of Murdoch's mantras. And, uh, you know, it's just. It should have been corrected. And I don't know that, I don't know that it was, I never heard that it was, but whether even if JBO was had the, had the, the reason for doing it. And he thought he did, obviously you can't condone that kind of behavior because it, 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 what's next, what do you do next? What's he do? What's he do next? So you got to nip it in the bud. And I don't know that it was nipped in the bud in that regard. And Tully was Tully quit and didn't want to be in that environment. Of course. Who would? And so, uh, JBL succeeded in uh, eliminating, uh, Tully from, from his life, not thinking that, well, you know, Vince and Laurinaitis wanted Tully in, or they wouldn't have hired him. Right. So that's how I, I looked at that thing, Connie. I just think that, you know, Johnny's a high strung sometimes very, very intelligent. You know, he's, he's doing some stuff with us now, right? Him and, him and Jerry Briscoe. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he's very entertaining and, th and that will be a great segment that those guys do because he and Briscoe got good chemistry and, and Briscoe's got it and not, and not, not say, so does uh, JBL. They got a, a plethora of stories. Well, let me mention, you know, we're doing a Monday mailbag with, uh, with Briscoe every Monday, officially JBL doesn't do anything with ad free shows, but he is a friend of Bruce's and, and I've become friendly with John, but some of these stories, they're, uh, less than awesome, but I do want to make one follow up to something you said a minute ago, because I know some of our listeners, because sometimes we don't want to bury guys. 
but you said Murdoch had some strong opinions about race. Uh, said another way, Murdoch was a racist asshole. Do I have that wrong? No, he, uh, you should have seen the look on my face when he showed me his Ku Klux Klan card. Oh, I, I, I don't, I don't know how to reconcile that. Let's, let's move on. Let's talk about some happier, funnier stuff. Um, well, I don't know how funny it is, but Michael Hayes is now running SmackDown and he says, nobody has made the connection, but the SmackDown turnaround and Michael Hayes as head writer have gone hand in hand for all the people who complain about too much of the same. You really knew you really do now have two fairly different products. There's some goofiness on SmackDown with King Booker and that there is no seriousness to the main heel character, but he and Charmel are great in the role. Charmel plays her role. Great. And Booker being so comical with the accent that he's so corny, it's entertaining. SmackDown has a lot of stuff now with guys like Hardy, Helms, London, Finley, Regal, Kendrick, Yang, and others who are given enough time. And when you give them enough time, you'll get good television matches and you may get one every other week on ECW, but it seems to happen even less frequently on raw. So Michael Hayes is getting a little credit here in the observer for some of the turnaround of SmackDown. What do you think about this era of SmackDown and how Michael Hayes was trying to pull the nose up on that brand? I thought Michael did a good job. You know, he, he was left in a position to influence the direction of the brand. The direction of the brand was more wrestling oriented, uh, because he realized that raw become the entertainment show raw became a lot of talk and, and less wrestling. Uh, and, and, and it was not doing the, the ratings, any massive favors, quite frankly. Uh, and so then, you know, I thought Michael did a ni- did a nice job. You know, Michael just had to, his whole issue has always been nonconformist. Uh, you know, he, when his wrestling career, a guy that didn't really, uh, belly up to the establishment, Michael, Michael and, and the birds could be a pain in the ass sometimes Were they talented. Oh, hell yeah. Very, very talented. Uh, and, and Michael was the ringleader. He was the brains behind that outfit. But anytime you got Terry Gordy and Buddy Roberts on your team, uh, that guarantees you're going to have some great matches because the best matches the Freebirds had were either six mans where Roberts and Gordy were big, big part of the match, or it was Buddy and Terry and Michael on the outside tormenting and tripping and distracting as Bobby Heenan would say trip, distract and pass nucks. Uh, so, but yeah, Michael did a nice job there. He just, Michael's always going to have problems. Uh, handling, uh, a, a descending view. So, uh, and that was, he, he learned that. And of course now Michael is in, is endured. You know, he was, he was, he was on a really upward trajectory and he had a little issue with Mark Henry. I think that was, that was a problem at one time. I don't know if this was before or after this, I think it was after this, but in any event, Michael did a good job. He should be given credit for his, the success of SmackDown because, uh, he, he had good vision. He had a plan and he was allowed to work his plan, which surprised a lot of people because it wasn't that Vince became hands off. It's just that he was on the same page with Michael and Michael had a good ability to communicate with Vince on, on the storylines and pushes and, and who's going to go over and all these type things. So Michael did a real, real nice job. Some of his best work. Let's talk about, uh, another big man who's, uh, making a big wave in the observer it's reported the company had offered big show a five-year contract extension, but he turned it down. 
because he didn't think he can continue because of how badly his body was hurting. He would say that his back was shot and he's not sure if this is the start of a physical deterioration like Andre the giant had around the same age, or if with some adequate rest, he could recover. And Meltzer would report up, up until this point, big show had been given a mixed bag for the company. You know, there were stories of Jim Ross trying to cut two years from his contract by adding a little extra money and of him being sent to developmental with questionable results. I know you weren't running talent relations here, but I'm sure you heard about it. Did you think big show just needed a break Did he need better travel accommodations? I know eventually he got a bus or was there a concern that, Hey, uh, our, our big man's health may be failing here. Uh, the big issue there was his weight. That's where you can, you can, you can drill down to wherever you want to. We wanted him. If he had lost weight, like he has now, it's, it's funny how that is now, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, he has slimmed down and, and you think that was the, the key to him adding these extra years. I mean, it was really that simple. Yes, I do. Uh, he, 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 he had gotten overweight, putting more stress on his body. The reason that he was sent to developmental was to lose weight and, and to work on his timing and, and work on his game plan so that he could incorporate things in his matches that did not put so much stress on his back. He needed to lose a bunch of weight. And, uh, and, and as we said, you know, subsequently he's, he, he, get, he got it and he's gotten, he's lost a ton of weight. He looks great now, but you know, he's, he's older, so he's got to fight farther time with this whole situation, but we just were disappointed that we couldn't get through to him, that he needed to lose, lose some weight. And, and he was, you know, he, Paul's a, is a smart guy, but he was also very influenced. Uh, you know, big guys like that sometimes have uh, self-esteem issues. And, uh, so I, I just think that the weight was the biggest issue for me. I, that's what I thought. You know, he, he, he could do, he needed to do less things he needed to do. He didn't, he needed to not try to replicate what some of the other boys were doing. You know, we didn't book him like Andre. Right. And that was another problem. He was overexposed. So by being overexposed, he thought he had to keep adding more things to his weaponry. And some of the decisions made, uh, will put his body in, in jeopardy even more. So I think the weight and, uh, and the fact that he was, he was overexposed were two big uh, deficits for, for Paul white. And, uh, and so and that you could look back at us for that, the, the management, you know, we, we should have demanded that, you know, and that's why I came back with that deal. Look, this uh, Jim Ross did this. Jim Ross did that. Jim Ross didn't do a lot of things that Vince McMahon's, uh, approval or his, uh, or his idea, his direction. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, that was a, a treacherous time. You know, we had, we had weight issues with several guys that, were, that didn't understand that there's going to be a point in time. That if you continue to grow and you get, and you get heavier, that you're not going to be able to get cleared by the athletic commission, which at that time was a huge issue. We've talked about that on our Yokozuna show, which I really enjoyed doing and Vader same deal. You're getting too heavy. And it's putting too much stress on your big ass body. And we want you around a long time. So it wasn't the fact we were trying to get rid of big show, but we needed more productivity. And we thought we had pinpointed the, 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 the deficiencies. So that's kind of where that was weight 
and overexposure. Let's talk about uh, somebody else that Johnny Ace is trying to bring in. Is a big star too. Bob Sapp is going to meet with Vince McMahon and John Laurinaitis on October 15th in Los Angeles. According to the observer, Meltzer would say his name had come up many times over the years, but it was considered, this was considered the best chance of making a deal happen, which I guess if you're sending Vince, yeah, probably so. Uh, apparently Paul Heyman even pushed for Bob Sapp to come in going all the way back to Oh three. He liked the idea of a Lesnar Sapp match at WrestleMania. According to the November 20th observer, all the talks with Bob Sapp had died. Sapp wanted to try to mix WWE and pride with the idea that doing pride would give him real credibility, but doing WWE would give him mainstream United States popularity. Bob Sapp in this era is a superstar in Japan, but he's not quite the name here, but he thinks WWE could help that. But the WWE wants him to work a full-time 365 day a year schedule. Mm. Sap doesn't want to commit to that number of house shows. And he wants a few weeks off prior to fights, plus the ability to take movie roles. And it just doesn't get kicked off. But the original, the original plan, according to the observer was that Sap would start on October 29th and he would be in the elimination chamber at December to dismember. Of course it didn't wind up happening, but. Bob Sapp in WWE could have been interesting to say the least. Oh yeah. It would have been great in that regard, but he's another guy that had to get in shape. You know, he's, he was foiled by a, uh, a, a schedule where he was working only a handful of dates a year in Japan. They're all big fights. They're all big issues. Uh, but he, he conditioning was always an issue with Bob, but looking at Bob on an eight by 10, my God, that's money. And, uh, so. It, but when you can't commit, you know, uh, and you, and you start laying all these stipulations out, well, I will do this. I can't do that. I want to do the movies. I, you know, doing a movie may take you away from, for three months. Right. So when you, when you, you get a guy that has such a high value on himself and wants a whole lot of money to work part-time, it just wasn't feasible. So, uh, I looked at Bob as. You know, Bob's a guy that you could, you could got ready squash matches, uh, vignettes, don't overexpose him on TV, get him ready in that regard. Uh, and probably, you know, it would have been a dream match with like Lesnar, right. for example. So, but it just, uh, the, the, the math didn't work out. His, his uh, demands for his schedule was not going to happen. And, you know, Laurinaitis had a little relationship with him from Laurinaitis' days, uh, with giant Baba. So, uh, you know, that was the hook there and that was the connection, but it just, it, it wasn't in the cards. Would never, it, to be honest with you, from what I remember hearing, and I was talking to Lauren, Itis a lot, they'd call and ask questions and could I, what do you think of this? What, you th- what would you do here? Whatever, which is fine. Uh, that was one of the smarter things he did, quite frankly, me patting myself on the back here, but you know, he, why wouldn't you, you know, I, I built that roster with a great team. So why would you go ask? Ask me questions. That's what you should do. And he did, but I never thought it was going to happen. I never thought it was going to happen because Vince is not going to acquiesce to a, a massive, I mean, we're talking, you know, seven figure plus deal for part, for part-time work. It just, it just didn't make any sense. And so I never thought it was going to ever come to fruition, but like you on paper, I'm intrigued by the fact that if we got Bob Sapp, 
it would have led to some 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 big match scenarios. But to say you want Bob Sapp to go out and work twenty minutes, ain't gonna happen. So that's where you were on that thing. He just his uh, it just just I never had confidence it was gonna happen. And I I'm, I'm sorry I felt that way, but it's just too much, too many ifs and well I'll do that, but I won't do no. I I gotta I gotta I wanna maintain my dates in, in Japan and. Vince was never big on that, that maintaining that, you know, we had to get, when we hired Leon, Leon could have stayed in Japan and done a lot of dates, but we, we couldn't, we couldn't book Leon part-time. He needed to be on, he needed to be available, uh, you know, as a full-timer and Bob staff was not willing to be a full-timer. Boy, you want to talk about some silliness, a strange situation is reported in the observer here. It's a hoax that went down in mid October. That's right. A hoax, a man named Thomas Spear passed away at his home in white marsh, Maryland. And Thomas had told the friends and family for years and years that he was corporal Kirshner in the WWF. So yeah, I guess to use a wrestling term, he had kayfabed his family into believing he was a WWF superstar. Well, somehow after he died, someone contacted WWE.com and they ran a story reporting the death of Corporal Mike Kirshner. Of course, the actual man who played Corporal Kirshner is Michael Pinchell. And, uh, he even had his kayfabe Kirshner name on his trucking license. He's 46 and very much alive as a truck driver. <laughs> and he even did an interview that week after. Uh, all of his friends and family were trying to find out if he really had passed away. The company never printed a retraction and, uh, some of the late individuals family insisted he really was the character and they would use the com article as proof. What a weird, crazy situation. This is How often did you hear stuff like this, where there was a fan pretending to be a, a performer from back in the day. Uh, seldom, not, not, not as seldom as you'd think. Uh, that was the most prominent one that I can recall. Uh, it was just insanity. It, it, it was a storyline built for 2020. Yeah. It's a TV movie. Yeah. It's crazy. So, uh, but 2020, so many crazy things have happened and, uh, in our lives and our, or how we live our lives and so forth, wearing a mask, social distancing and all those things. Uh, it's built for this year, 2020. Yeah. But, but it was a unique scenario to say the very least. And I think to, uh, to wash the egg off their face, that's why the detract the, uh, uh, the, uh, revision retraction was that never, never made public. Let's, uh, let's move on and let's do one more story and then we'll get into the actual event itself. One of the more all time memorable characters, Sputnik Monroe passed away on November 3rd in Florida. He's 77 years old. He was an undersized heel. Uh, Meltzer would say probably five, nine and 190 to 215 pounds, but he was a great self-promoter an outlandish character and most of all, a great talker. And that made him a main event in a lot of Southern territories and a cultural icon in Memphis before the days of Jackie Fargo, he was number one at the box office and he had a major role in racial integration of public events in that city. And his famous line was that. He had a body that men feared women adored. <laughs> He's quite the character and, uh, what he did for African-Americans in the South, uh, is probably understated the importance of that. What can you share with us about Sputnik Monroe? He was a top heel for Leroy McGurk when I was a kid growing up in Oklahoma. 
Uh, he had several, uh, he had, he had a run with Danny Hodge as the NWA junior heavyweight champion. Great, uh, heel. He would be the epitome of a chicken shit heel. He, he perfected that particular styling, uh, to an art form. He had a little blonde, uh, uh, patch of hair. He kept bleached in the front to give him a little more identity, a real gruff voice, uh, you know, like a cigar smoker might have. Uh, but he was very good. He was really good at what he did. And, you know, Sputnik hung, hung around in Memphis and he would go drinking at a lot of the black bars. So he developed a cult following with, uh, African-American fans, especially African-American women, uh, men rather, excuse me. And, uh, so Sputnik had a big hand in making sure that, uh, they had, they could come to the event and not have to sit in the nosebleeds. So in other words, if they had the money to buy a ringside seat, why not take their money? And it was just an old tradition. You know, they, the blacks set up in the nosebleeds and he didn't like that. He thought he was losing money. He probably was, but he did, a, he did a, a lot for, uh, for, for that race relations and that, that law of the, those guys have the black people having to set in the nosebleeds, uh, went away thanks to Spudnik because he had that much stroke in the territory. You know, uh, Roscoe Broombaugh is his real name, Roscoe Broombaugh. And, uh, that should have been his gimmick name. That's a hell of a wrestler name. Yeah. Ain't it? Uh, but he, I remember, uh, I remember Leroy McGurk telling me a story when he's booking, uh, uh, Spudnik and Spudnik was programming with Hodge. You know, Hodge is very protective of his title. He was very proud to be the NWA junior heavyweight champion. He traveled the world as a champion, just like, uh, uh, in that era, the, 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 the NWA heavyweight champions would be traveling the world and Hodge had a great following in Japan. They loved him there because of his amateur background two Olymp two times in the Olympics, never lost as an amateur, you know, golden gloves, boxing champion, just uh, on a whim. He beat every heavyweight in America. And, uh, you know, he was so good. Hodge was in boxing that in 1960, he started he came close to being named to the Olympic team, except they had a heavyweight already who ended up having a nice career named Cassius Clay, AKA Muhammad Ali. So they had talked about Hodge dropping weight to be the he light heavyweight or, or Muhammad being the light heavyweight, but using them both. It just never did work out. And, uh, Danny turned pro. He didn't have any money, he had a young family and, uh, graduated from OU, uh, a great, great wrestling star there. So, uh, but, but, uh, Sputnik came into McGurk in the office there in Tulsa with a belt, put the belt. He said, I'm putting this belt on your desk, Leroy. I don't want it. He's killing me. He's killing me. And there's nothing I can do about it. Every night is a war because Hodge was serious. And so I don't know how they worked that out. I mean, obviously, uh, Hodge got the title back and, and, uh, I think he may have started a feud with, a. Hero Matsuda, they had a real good feud. They liked each other. They had great matches. Uh, but Sputnik was a little bit of a dressing room lawyer, loud, a very, uh, we talked about, uh, Layfield earlier being, you know, w more than willing to express himself verbally. Sputnik was that way too. And that and Sputnik Monroe was the first guy I ever heard described as a dressing room lawyer. Mm. So he was a controversial guy. But he was a hell of a hand in the ring. I could promise you that. He's a hell of a hand. 
Well, let's talk about the hands who were on this show. Let's get to uh, cyber Sunday of six out first. We've got Umaga and Kane. Uh, the crowd would vote 49% for Kane, 28% for Sandman, 23% for Benoit. And, uh, yeah, it becomes Kane two stars. You know, listen, what everybody wants to know is, was this, uh, was this voting rigged by WWE or was this on the up and up? I am fully, uh, of the belief that it was on the up and up. I really am. I don't think, I think there's just too much. If it wasn't and people did enough, uh, forensic study, then you're exposed that, uh, your votes meant nothing. Then it kills the concept entirely for the going forward. If you want to go forward, you want to kill your, you want to kill the concept of internet voting, then, then rig it. And then so somebody's going to find out about it. And I, I really believe that it was, uh, it was legit. Kane's been a part of the company forever and ever. And, um, it's rare that he gets a big chant, but there is a Kane chant in this match. And I don't know if that's for Kane or against Umaga because they're building Umaga as a monster. You have a great line on the commentary. You yell, get this savage out of here. <laughs> and of course they have the Samoan spike as the finish that gets it done clean in the middle. Kane doesn't even do the big post-match sit up. They really want to push that, uh, this, this bulldozer is legit. I love watching old Umaga stuff. He was gone way, way too soon. Yeah. He's got to be near the top of the list as one of the baddest Samoans ever in the company, right? Oh yeah. Gosh. Yes. He's Eddie was athletic. Eddie had great quickness for a 300 plus pound guy, really, really a gifted athlete and, uh, and a nice, good hearted kid, uh, could do anything. Uh, so we, he, he was unbeaten for a year. That's how you get a guy over. You get them. They build momentum. You don't overexpose him. He doesn't have to win every week. He doesn't need to be on TV every week uh, in a live uh, capacity. There's a lot of ways to, to get talent exposed on television without them actually being in the match for a live uh, for a live for a live bout. So, uh, but he 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 was got over the right way. He he never lost for a year until it was time, and uh, you know he, that whole thing. And this is we're talking about October 2006. Remember at WrestleMania in 2007, he was in that billionaire hair match. Yes, he was. So he was, that was all the plan to keep him hot, keep him rolling and keep, keep him undefeated. So he was, uh, Eddie was book well, but he was so, uh, athletic for a big guy. He, he reminded me, it was funny, even though he was much smaller than Yokozuna, they had that same DNA where they just had the gift of timing. Right. Just they always seem to be at the right place. It's the right time for their opponent to enhance the match. And, uh, I really felt, uh, horrible, you know, uh, Umaga had young, a young family and they found him in his chair. He was, he was already dead and, and all that. Another guy that, uh, you know, they're big and strong and these little pills don't seem like they're going to bother them, but they do. Gone too soon. We are doing a new MAGA show. Stay tuned. It's coming your way sooner rather than later. Next up on the show, we see Charmel try to recruit Big Show as an ally. And the pitch here is that if either of their titles were at stake, they'd work together and make a deal to make sure Cena doesn't win. If Cena's title is at stake, the deal is off and they can both go for it. 
and Joe says he doesn't trust him and turns down the offer. Charmel's going to say that he'll uh, live to regret that decision. And next up, we get a four corners match. It's a tornadoes match. The fans would pick a tornado match with 50% of the vote, 35% for tag team turmoil and 15% for the fatal four way. And, uh, the four teams involved are crime time, the Highlanders, Charlie Haas and viscera and Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch. It's uh regrettable in hindsight. We see Lance Cade and Trevor Murdoch come out in the Confederate flag. I'm sure that was their way of getting heat and being the rebels and, and being the, the rebel flag, but still couldn't do that these days. Yeah. They weren't representing Ole Miss. No star in a quarter. Uh, some of this just feels a little thrown together. I, I like crime time. I thought Highlanders were more than passable. I enjoyed Cade and Murdoch, but Charlie Haas and viscera. That was like a fever dream. Yeah, it, it was thrown together. And as a result, the match was not good. Right. Uh, you know, and I, I hate to say, you know, you look back at this as a sad part about wrestling but, but that we could point out here. Lance Kate is gone. Charlie Haas is gone. Viscera is gone. Uh, I don't know the whereabouts of the Highlanders. Charlie Haas is still with us. You mean his brother, Russ, I think. Russ. Yeah. I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. Yeah. Russ, but they're, Hey, they're, they're like joined at the hip. So right. that's my bad, my bad though. Yeah. My bad. But the part is, is that much like Umaga, yeah. uh, all those guys I've mentioned left to her, left us too early. Way too soon. Yeah. It's just, it was really, really sad. So, uh, anyway, the, it, it was, a it was thrown together. Conrad, you were on the money. It got the guy some bookings. It got him a payday and it filled some time. I hate when you're booking something to fill time. It's like, okay, it's just wait. Why? Yeah. Why bother? Yeah. Why bother? Uh, there's a fun note here. Uh, you mentioned in commentary, uh, that Shad had 23 arrests for assault during the match, which is kind of fun. Crime time wins the tornado match. Um, I don't know, <laughs> just sort of there for me. The post match would see the swerve that Jerry Lawler uh, was involved with the computer. I mean, what would you think of this one? The match? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's a time it, waster, right? Yeah. A time filler, uh, time waster, same difference. Uh, I, I'm glad all those kids got booked. Yeah. I really am. Uh, you hope that somewhere in that cluster that somebody will, uh, break through the bullshit and, and, and look like they got something that we want to, to build upon. It just was not a good match. You know, it's these kids are trying to, they're trying to get their shit in. They're trying to get over nothing wrong with that concept, but it just was, it just was ill booked. You know, it's just, nobody was hot in that match, right? Nobody was quote unquote over on a roll with momentum. And when you get that, the fans know, and that's why the fan reaction of that match was uh, lukewarm at best. Next up, we get a backstage skit with DX telling everyone to vote for Eric Bischoff as the referee. And they explain their logic that we've already stuck Vince's head up big show's ass. So there's nothing else we can actually do to him. And Jonathan coachman was already humiliated on raw. And then triple H would try to rile up Sean Michaels by reminding him that Bischoff said, Sean isn't controversial. And then Sean super kicks a guy named Stan and two other guys get hit with super kicks. I didn't love this DX reunion in 06, but every now and again, they'd have entertaining segments. And I guess this was one of them. What'd you think? 
it was okay. It was okay. It got it foreshadowed what's still to come, and it, uh, it, got, it added a lot of star power uh, that followed that uh, four team four team a tornado, Texas tornado tag, which needed something. We need to get the audience back back focused and back looking forward to the rest of the show. And and DX against Orton and Edge was a big part of this show. So I, I didn't have a problem with it. It was not as edgy as some of their content, which that only means it's not as edgy as some of their other content, but I thought it was kind of funny. Jeff Hardy is going to be defending his intercontinental title. Next Carlito, uh, Benjamin and nitro are the three options. Uh, Johnny nitro gets 13%. Shelton Benjamin gets 25%. Carlito gets 62%. And, uh, it's Jeff Hardy and Carlito for the IC. Meltzer would say there were some real communication problems early. Jim Ross came up with a new name for a low drop kick, calling it a little broke drop kick, <laughs> which is kind of fun. Uh, Jeff does the, uh, running the barricade spot. I don't know. It just feels like, uh, the crowd wasn't as into this as maybe I would have expected. Uh, what'd you think? I mean, he, he wins clean with a swanton. We're sending everybody home happy, uh, but it gets, uh, two stars in the observer. Well, uh, the match should have had a faster pace, you know, in hindsight, Carlito getting a reverse bear hug and holding it for a long time was not what the audience wanted to see at that point in time. Uh, I had high expectations of this match because as I said on this show before, uh, you know, Carlito was earmarked for much bigger things. It just, it just never materialized. He couldn't gain the confidence of the, uh, of the office for whatever reason. He was laid back and cool and, you know, uh, his greatest success was with the women. I don't know. He, he notched his gun, uh, often it, with the, with, and, and with the divas and then, and nobody ever heard about it. It was, it didn't it, now in today's world, in today's, uh, social media, it'd be everywhere. So his greatest success was as a, as a, <laughs> was in romance, I guess. But I always thought Carlito could have been a huge star. I, I kept thinking like Pedro Morales or somebody, you know, that, uh, the, the, uh, the heritage, uh, that th it would fit. There was a precedent. It's just, we couldn't, it just couldn't, it didn't happen. And of course, Jeff Hardy, I nicknamed him the strange enigma, uh, because he, Jeff was a different breed of cat. Jeff had the charisma that, that they look for and look, Jeff's still viable today. Yeah. And, uh, He's, he's just a great hall of fame level hand. I hope that somewhere down the road, I'm, I'm curious is that when they do hall of fame stuff in the future, you know, the Hardys need to be in the hall of fame, of course, but as long as Matt's with AEW, and again, we talked about him wrestling Sammy Guevara this weekend on pay-per-view that, uh, I wonder if that'll be how that will be. It almost have to be, maybe I might be wrong. Is that Vince would say, well, yeah, they deserve to go in, but when Matt leaves AEW we'll, we'll think about it and that may be the deal, but Jeff is a star and I, and, and I just, I had higher expectations for this match than we received. And, uh, you know, so I don't know. It just let me down a little bit. I think everybody was let down by the next match a little bit too. It's Randy Orton and edge team RKO, uh, a rated RKO. Taking on DX, Shawn Michaels and Triple H. They get 18 minutes and 11 seconds. And we get to vote for the referee. Do we want it to be Vince McMahon? Do we want it to be Jonathan Coachman? Do we want it to be Eric Bischoff? 
McMahon and coach get 20% of the vote each overwhelmingly it's Bischoff with 60%. DX is going to come out and cheerlead different parts of the crowd. They're definitely doing the house show routine here on pay-per-view and, uh, the crowd is into it, but it's probably Meltzer says a bit of a disappointment. Um, not bad, but it never got to the level you'd expect. According to Dave, uh, of course we know what's going to happen. Orton hits an RKO on a chair for the pin and uh, DX goes down after the match. Orton and edge would push that they have ended the DX winning streak. And they're going to call themselves rated RKO two and three quarter stars. You got four hall of famers here four bona fide main event guys, but it just feels like the chemistry in this one. Maybe it's because it's the middle of the card. It's not the main event. They didn't have a hot story going in. Why wasn't this what most folks would have expected it to be? Do you think? I don't think it was because of the placement on the card. I think it was because they didn't have a well-established storyline. We talked about this at the beginning of today's show about those matches this weekend for AEW. that a lot of those stories have been, have been told for a while. There's, we know why these guys are wrestling each other. And other than being four great stars, the match didn't have a great backstory. So, uh, but I, I thought that match would have been, uh, you know, a, a little bit, a little bit better. Uh, I enjoyed it quite frankly. I, I, I would give it more, more stars than two and two and three quarters, quite frankly, Conrad, but you know, that's Dave's opinion and, and he's got the right to that and he's an expert. So, uh, so for, he, he had a, he had, he had a take on it, but I, I, with him, in fact, I think I had a lot higher expectations than what I saw. Next up is what Meltzer called the worst match on the card. It's Lita and Mickey James. They're going head to head for the vacant women's title. Uh, there's lots of options for what style match you want. Do you want a submission match that got 14%? Do you want a no DQ match that got 40% or do you want a lumberjack match that got 46%? Meltzer would say the match was just brutal, but it really put over how good Trish Stratus is. All of their traditional pro wrestling spots look bad. Then they did submissions on the ground and the crowd didn't buy that, but there were various spots where the lumberjacks attacked them. And right before the finish, they tried something that went awry and Jr. had to say, what was that? <laughs> Not only that, but whatever it was ended up being replayed among the worst pay-per-view matches of the year. Lita won with a clean DDT negative one star or one clean with a DDT negative one star. Why did this not click? I mean, Mickey, we know is one of the better in-ring performers that's, that's going to come through the company, especially in this era. And my God, yeah. she's still wrestling at a high level now and lead mm -hmm. up bonafide hall of famer, main evented raw, big star. Their chemistry was just not there here. Well, those nights, man, sometimes you, you have those nights where they're just not the chemistry. We've talked about that in, in previous shows on certain matches if that on that given night, just the chemistry was not there. And you can't say, well, it's too long. It's eight minutes. Uh, I hired both those women. I, I have, uh, still am proud that I was able to do that because they deserve to be on the show. Lita did have a hall of fame career. Mickey's a hall of famer without a without question. Mickey James is probably one of the most underrated females, uh, that we've, we ever had there in WWE during my era. And, uh, but I, uh, it's interesting to hear what Meltzer said about Trish. You know, I, I caught a lot of heat on Twitter from fans of China 
trying to defend her saying that the only reason Trish got hired was because how she looked, uh, and look how she looked did have a hand obviously in, uh, in, in me seeing her and hiring her. But I also checked with guys like Ron Hutchinson and others there in, in Ontario. She's a, she, Trish is a very good athlete. She was a, I think she was a really outstanding field hockey, uh, player. So she could run, she's athletic, but you know, that's, that's, that's the cop out for a lot of people, you know, well, they just hired her because of her looks. You mean you're saying that I should have been hiring, you know, Miss America contestants, even though they couldn't work, they look good. Uh, and I, I, that's ridiculous. That's, it's, it's, oh, it's stupid, really stupid. So, uh, but anyway, uh, the match should have been better. It should have been better. I'm sure if you talked to both those young women, they'd say the same thing. It's just one of those nights, Conrad, and you, one of those deals where it's hard to put your finger on the exact reason that the match did not click. Uh, because I love both those ladies. They, oh, I love their work, you know, Lita doing moonsaults and things like that, that the females just weren't doing in that era to any large degree. So, uh, it was just one of those nights, man. I don't, I can't, I can't give you the definitive answer why it didn't work. You can say, well, it's too long. It wasn't too long. Let's mention too, this is her fourth title win, uh, Lita's that is she's going to lose the belt back. November 26th at survivor series. And I think that's her final match of her main run. And of course she does some occasional shows here and there, but if you look back at this match, you look at her face when she wins, she's pissed and it could be great acting. It could be. She's just frustrated with a bad match, but I guess something important to remember, she had turned heel and divorced Kane in May of the previous year. And then they did the whole Matt Hardy edge real life thing. And Hardy basically dragged her online for cheating with edge. And now for almost 18 months, she's been pelted with chants of ho and slut and crack whore. Looking back, it's just awful stuff. And then after she leaves or when she leaves at survivor series, crime time auctions, her belongings in a wholesale, this had to be, I guess we should also mention on the November 20th raw. Lita would cut a scathing promo saying she's fed up with the negative effect WWE fans have had on her personal life. Is this all just character work or had some of this really affected her? Like, man, what am I doing all this for? Well, Lita is a kind and sensitive person. Enough is enough. Yeah. And the fact that the company, uh, the wholesale, for example, was a, uh, they, they endorsed this this feeling, they endorse this mood and it bothered her. Uh, she didn't understand why she was <clears throat> categorized in such a negative way. Uh, so I, I, I think it was real. I think she was just, just very disillusioned with how she was being treated and it, and it, and it was all being enhanced by her own company. I mean, when you see another performer going through seemingly some of the same type of stuff that you had to deal with. I mean, certainly no one was chanting crack whore at Jr. but it felt like the, the, the office at times was unkind to you. And it feels like she started going through a similar situation here. You try to reach out and cancel talent in moments like that, or do you just wait for them to come to you if they need help? Is it one of those? I don't want to poke my nose in that business type of deal or what's the strategy when you see, no, I never, I, I'm not, I've never been Conrad one to be reluctant to stick his nose in for someone to say you didn't, it didn't belong. Uh, I had, I had chats with her 
it basically is trying to encourage her. Right. Uh, you know, you look, that's just, it's fiction. It's total fiction. You know, your name's not even Lita. So, so I understand, uh, the feelings that you can develop, but somehow, some way we all go through those periods, especially in that company to where you just got to man up, woman up and, and try to work through it. If you can, she couldn't, she tried, she couldn't. And yeah, I talked with her. I, I had a lot of time for, for Amy Dumas, uh, and I still do. So, and I think she was, she was good for the wrestling business. I think she was really good and things she did, uh, had a positive effect on a lot of the women today. You know, you look at Charlotte flair doing moonsaults right. and things like that. Well, you know, it's Charlotte flair didn't invent that. She, she made it, she took a move that another female did first and made it maybe better because of her length or her athleticism and so forth. So Lita had a very positive effect on a lot of the women that we see wrestling today in all the companies. And I think that should not be ignored. And I think she should be proud of that fact. She had a great run and at least WWE tried to make her whole by putting her in the hall of fame. She deserved it and she, how she was treated. Uh, she needed a, uh, she needed a reset. She needed the, the feel good moment. And I can tell you that seeing her be inducted to the hall of fame, if you get a chance to go back and look at it again, look at the happiness on her face. She was relieved. The stress was gone. Things are better. And the hall of fame was a great culmination of a very rocky journey. Let's get back to our show. And, uh, go backstage. Kenny's running down the rest of the spirit squad, noting he's the only one who wasn't a loser. They're pushing hard for a little feud here with Kenny versus Johnny. And next up, we've got Kenny and Mikey teaming up against Ric Flair and Roddy Piper. Fans had voted, uh, for Piper 45%, Dusty Rhodes, 36%, 19% for Sergeant Slaughter. And, uh, Ric Flair and, and Roddy Piper here are going to become what Meltzer says are perhaps the oldest world tag team champions in history. And, uh, you bring up on commentary that these guys were actually a tag team back in the mid Atlantic era. Meltzer would say Piper physically looked horrible and he was the one doing the selling, which probably wasn't the best idea. Flair got hot tagged and got Mikey in the figure four and Kenny breaks it up. But the second time Mikey's stuck in the middle, Kenny can't save him any taps really big pop here and it's played out like it's a miracle that these guys are tag champs and Meltzer would even comment imagine if these belts weren't so devalued and in the post-match we see Dusty Rhodes and Slaughter do a run-in and clean house on the entire squad they're all dancing in the ring together Meltzer calls it something for the ages watching Sarge to get down here three quarters (laughs) of a star kind of a cool deal here to see uh Piper and flair. I, I understand the criticisms of Piper's appearance, but my goodness, folks, uh, father time does no jobs. As Jim Ross says, mm. what'd you think of this match? Well, it wasn't the greatest artistic success as you know, I'm not going to try to pass it off as that, but as far as seeing, uh, here's what I liked about it. I got to see Sarge. <clears throat> I got to see the, the dream, uh, and I got to see Piper and flair for me as a, in the coming from their era, I, I kind of thought it was cool. Uh, yeah. Was it, was it going to be, 
you know, the young bloods and the Briscoes? No, but it's a different set of, it's a, it's a different set of cards. It's a different deck. And so <clears throat> I like the fact that, uh, uh, I thought that the office did a nice job. The match was six fifty-five, little, uh, little under seven minutes. And quite frankly, that was about right. They didn't make them go, well, we're going to give you 15. Well, God almighty, they don't need 15. And the other thing I kind of liked, to be honest with you, is the fact that Ric Flair finally won a match with a figure four. <laughs> it didn't happen very often in this era or ever for that matter. And no, it's funny because Meltzer, while he's being critical of the way that Piper looks, he, he reports Piper was at a public appearance in New York the day before and openly said he hoped he wasn't picked and joked that all three candidates were hoping the same thing because these were top guys and they don't want to get out there and look less than they have in the past. And he knew he would. And while Meltzer would classify the match as sad, he said it was the biggest genuine emotional reaction to the show. When people realized Flair and Piper had won the tag titles, it really is a pretty cool little feel good moment here. Yeah, it is. It is. And that's, that's kind of what I hang my hat on. Uh, I don't hang my hat on. Well, the match quality, they could have done this and he had a gut and he did. Okay. Great. Great. Okay. Box check. You got it. You got it. It, it was the fact that you got two of the greatest legends in the history of wrestling in Rowdy Roddy Piper and the nature war Ric Flair together as a very unlikely tag team. And, uh, and I thought that again, the nostalgia fact uh, factor, the fact that Rick finally won a match with a figure four, uh, the fact that we see, uh, you know, all those legends are at, at, in the ring at the end was made me feel good. And so that makes the match to me, uh, better than the stars that it was provided by Dave. Uh, and I'm not arguing about Dave. Dave was probably right as far as match quality. But the emotional quality, the emotional attachment, the feel good, uh, thing as the, as those guys are in the ring post-match, uh, was a- absolutely memorable. So that's kind of what I, I hang my hat on. I liked the match in that regard. It was just great seeing those guys out there and, uh, and together. And, you know, uh, we, you know, Piper, not too long after that found out he had cancer, you know, uh, Rick still being Rick, you know, I, I don't know. I just, and those young kids. I hope those guys that were in the spirit squad realized how lucky they were that they got to sit in a pregame and go over their match with these two dudes and then, uh, uh, and then get to work with them. So you hope that's the case. I know the company had a lot of, <clears throat> had high hopes on, uh, uh, Kenny Doan. Kenny, uh, had a lot of upside, good, good looking kid, long, lean, athletic, and, uh, and all those guys in that spirit squad had, had positive attributes. Probably Nick Mitchell's uh, Mitch, his greatest attribute is the fact that he was dating, uh, I think Tori Wilson at that time, he got over him with me with that. So, uh, it, good deal. It was a, it was all right. You know, I, again, I, I'm maybe I'm looking at it through rose cutter glasses, Connie, but I, I just, it made me feel good to see those guys celebrating and having fun and maybe would we ever see this scenario again, well, we knew we'd see it one more time because they got to lose the title to somebody. And they did not too long after that, but for the, on that night, it was a fun night. Let's talk about the uh, next match. But before we do, we go backstage and we see another John Cena skit. <clears throat> it's Booker and Charmel trying to get John to agree to work a pack together because big shows so big. 
Cena listens and to the surprise of everyone says he'd agree under one condition. He gets a night with Charmel. She's furious and Booker tells her to leave. Once she's gone, Booker says, okay, that's a deal. And <laughs> Cena said, that's sick. That's your wife. And I only said that because I knew you'd never agree. How twisted are you? They leave the room and in front of Charmel, Cena apologizes and then pretty much tells her that Booker had agreed. She's pissed. And then we see the old Ron Simmons damn spot. Pretty good little skit. Yeah. Um, now it's time for our, our three-way dance. If you will, it's King Booker, John Cena and big show. And they're trying to, uh, decide who's going to be the champion of champions. Uh, 12% of the fans want John Cena's title at stake since he's the baby face. 21% want show's title at stake and 67% want Booker T's title at stake, which tells you who the real heel is here. Uh, Booker T winds up winning 21 minutes and five seconds and, uh, it's two and three quarter stars, but the real interesting thing, I can't believe this is a real thing. Booker grabs the belt and wants to use it. Cena puts him in the STFU and out of nowhere, Kevin Federline runs in and hits Cena with a belt shot. Cena no sells it and gets up. Kevin runs off. Cena turns around. Booker nails him with a belt shot, gets the pin. And the closing shot of the show is Kevin Federline mocking John Cena, as opposed to Booker celebrating two and three quarter stars. As if this wasn't weird enough, this show, Kevin Federline, who I know some of you may be wondering who was that now? Did he work in the AWA? No, he was a famous <laughs> backup dancer who married, uh, the biggest pop star in the world, Britney Spears. And now he's become a bit of a TMZ and internet sensation and he's involved in the main event of a pay-per-view what do you think of this not much uh quite frankly uh the the, the k-fed thing was set up for he and cena to have a match on new year's day raw that year was uh on, on january 1st was a monday we were in miami and, uh, it was a uh, K fed and John Cena. I had been with the company since 1993. I had never taken a day off. I never had a vacation, never filled out a vacation form. And on that night in January one, my Sooners played uh, Boise state in the Fiesta bowl out in Arizona. And I really wanted to go to the game. You know, I enjoyed being around my buddies. Bowl week was good. I stayed at the team hotel. Uh, you know, I hang around my coaching friends and, and other fans and so forth. And, and I got turned down and Vince said, we need you. We got to have you call this match. It's important. So here's a guy that's on a, a temporary week to week type deal. But they need, <laughs> I'm getting all these messages, man. Like, and what I wasn't pissed off about the contract as much as you would think I was pissed off that I wasn't granted a day off. Look, you got your golden boy, Todd Grisham. Who's going to take my place stick his ass in there. Stick Michael Cole's there. No, it's got to be Jr. So I think part of that was, was Jr. really that valuable that he, I had to have that Vince had to have me to call that match. Or was it the fact that we can piss his ass off really good? Cause he, I'm not going to let him go to the bowl game. So, you know, it depends on your point of view, I guess. Uh, so anyway, uh, you really think I, I, that's what it was? You think he didn't let you go just because he knew you wanted to? Yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. I think, I think there's, I think there's plausible reason for that. No, do I, do I definitively know that that was the case? Hell no. I don't know that. That's me. My ego may be talking, but how much would it have hurt for, for, for me to miss a raw? Right. Not, I hadn't, not I hadn't, much. I hadn't missed any yeah. except when I was sick. Uh, so, but I, I just felt like it was unreasonable. Vince knew my passion for Oklahoma, uh, that, that still exists today and the Oklahoma football. And, uh, I just think that was just another way of getting to my goat and seeing how I was going to react. So I had to be there to call the big K fed John Cena match and, uh, <laughs> epic is epic. Conference. It's like, I, it wasn't exactly in Miami. It wasn't like calling rock and stone cold. <laughs> Let me tell you that. And I, I, my hat's off to John Cena for going along with it, pulling it out of the bottom of the night type deal, making it something. Uh, and I guess maybe K fed probably did a little bit better than some of us perceived he might, but that was a story there. So K fed the K fed dates, getting his dates and the target being January one. Because the Vince's idea was it's counter programming. All the football is going to be on and, uh, we're going to counter program it. I don't know how the ratings were on January 1st. Somebody can look that up, I guess, but nonetheless, uh, it was the Vince's idea was to counter program football with entertain with sports entertainment. Well, it worked. I'll never forget. We were at my house watching the bowl games and my dad said, son, isn't Britney Spears boyfriend wrestling change the damn channel. So. I mean, my dad, he was there. He was right in it. Listen, this is silly. Uh, you know, lots of things to unpack here. I I love the concept of the match, but as you said, just to start the show, the execution, probably not there. The worst match poll. Well, it's a landslide. It's Licky and uh, Licky. It's Lita and Mickey James. Uh, but believe it or not, Jeff Hardy and Carlito got first place for the best match poll. I don't know that going into this, anybody would have necessarily called that, but it's probably not a surprise. Jeff Hardy, Jeff Hardy, goodness gracious, is poised to be the biggest star in the whole company, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and we thought that Carlito had something too. Right. The Carlito, Car- Carlito was a main event level guy. We just got to get him there and he's got to show consistency because there's, there was nothing that kid could not do. He was natural timing. Uh, great charisma, uh, but sometimes he looked distant in the match where he wasn't emotionally invested and Vince picked up on that. And it, 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 it posed a point of consternation for the boss because you see a kid that's got all this heritage and, and set, And he's kind of, he's so good that he's kind of going through the motions. You, you think now, whether he was, or he was not, I don't know, but nonetheless, uh, uh, it, it just, it just didn't click on that. I didn't think that that match clicked whatsoever, but I thought it'd be better than it was. And for it to be the, win the best match poll kind of shows you what the audience perceived this, this card to be, uh, you know, so you got your, your, your champion, your loaded main event with Cena and Booker and show, uh, in there, you got the DX tag match with Orton and edge, you know, you'd think, well, that would be the, one of those is going to win it. Right. But they didn't, they didn't, they were, they were, they were tied for second, I guess you'd say. So it, it was an interesting, uh, show had an interesting feel, uh, but it wasn't the show that we wanted to deliver. And, uh, but I, again, I don't think it had anything to do with the concept. I just, some of those matches were cold. 
and fans today, you can't have a cold match today that is put it on top and not without a story. They're, they're not going to buy it. They're not, they're going to, they're not going to get into it. So, uh, it was what it was, man. Overall, Meltzer would say this was a blah show and a lackluster event, but the big stat that WWE is touting on the other side of this is two and a half million voters, which is a record and 14,687,233 votes. Also a record during the show. Meltzer would say the votes were coming in at a pace of 6,000 per minute. And this is a big deal to, to get that sort of crowd interaction. And it may have been WWE just trying to sort of test the waters with their, their digital side and see, Hey, is our online presence, which has clearly been growing. And as more and more people adopted the technology and had, you know, pay-per-view capacity and now internet capacity at home, this is sort of a, a whole new world. And that seems sort of hokey in hindsight, because it feels like we've always had Netflix in our pocket, but that wasn't always the case. And here in 06, it feels like this experiment from a fan interaction and engagement standpoint, this is a home run, but creatively, maybe not so much. Um, is the lesson here that, you know, yeah, we want to listen to the fans, but the result is not always great matches. We should just let the, the creative folks sort of start with the end in mind, or was it just a social experiment? How would you classify this? I think it was a social media experiment before it's time. I think you're spot on about WWE, uh, evaluating, uh, how much of an impact, uh, that interaction could be, uh, kind of experimental pay-per-view if you will. And, uh, but I, I always, as I said earlier, anytime you can allow your audience to be a participant in some way above just a normal fan, uh, I don't think it's a bad thing as, as a rule, it's a good concept. So I, I think that it it had a, the social media thing had a, had something to do with it. The, the impact of WWE's, uh, uh online presence had something to do with it, but, uh, it just, it, you know, you still want the matches to deliver. And on this night, it seemed to be kind of a, I think the talents felt it was a B show and they, and they, and some of them performed that way. Well, this was a fun show. I, uh, I enjoyed going back and taking a look at 2006. I don't know why I find that year so interesting, but it feels like it's a company in transition. You know, you guys are on top of the world in 2001 when WCW and ECW go down and you try an experiment, you know, just uh, a week after WCW goes down, we turn Austin heel. It doesn't work. We try to pull the nose up with the invasion. We try all kinds of different stuff. in 02. uh, of course we've got the NWO invasion to carry us and the whole Hollywood rock thing. And then Oh three rolls around and it feels like we're trying to find our footing. It's just not quite the same. Uh, and, and we would see stone cold go out on his shield and, and the rock sort of cement himself as the top dog by Oh four. We're trying something new though, because Lesnar's out of here and, uh, well, so is Goldberg. So we're going to try the, the new generation, if you will, the, the worker generation, it's going to be Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit. That doesn't exactly work. So by 05, we tried again with two new guys, Dave Batista and John Cena. And it feels like here by 06, John Cena is going to be the guy, but he's not quite Austin and he's not quite rock and he's not quite Hogan. And we're trying to figure out how do we position this character? And the idea we come up with is Britney Spears, boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Well, the, 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 uh, 
that Vince's uh, unquenchable thirst for mainstream publicity. Yeah. You mentioned earlier, spot on again, Connie, uh, K fed was a favorite of TMZ. Yeah. He was a favorite of social media stuff. He was, he was, he was trying to keep trying to maintain relevance because his marriage was on the rocks, you know, his meal ticket, so to speak, uh, Britney Spears, uh, and he were getting ready to get divorced and soon not in this era is when the divorce papers were filed and, and that, uh, that situation started to blow up, which only made more publicity for K fed. So that fed into the hand of WWE in that respect, as far as the social media, the outside wrestling media, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, you know, I, I, it, it was, it was just, it was that desire to get the brand in front of new eyes and they events thought K fed was a, ve- a vessel or vehicle, whatever to accomplish that. And it was controversial. I don't know if it, like I said, I don't know if it, how, how it worked, well it worked ratings wise. I was still pissed off. I didn't get to go to the Fiesta bowl. Well, I'm excited that we get to cover next week's show. We're going to cover clash of the champions 13. This was nicknamed Thanksgiving thunder and believe it or not, it involves Jim Ross calling wrestling in Jacksonville, Florida. Who'd have thought, and it happens to be on a Turner station, TBS. It gets a 4.2 rating with Ric Flair and Butch Reed on top. We've got Magnum force, whoever the shit that is wrestling the Steiner brothers, the night stalker taking on Sid vicious. The renegade warriors in there with the nasty boys, Lex Luger in with someone called the motor city madman. Uh, we've got Michael wall street and the star blazer, Tom Zink and Brian Lee, big cat and Brad Armstrong, Brian Pillman and buddy Landell, the fabulous Freebirds and the Southern boys. There's a lot of interesting stuff on here and well, some not so interesting. It's uh, knee deep in the herd era. It's uh, pretty remarkable what WCW is here, but Butch Reed was over, especially in Florida. That's been well established next week. Clash of the champions. What do you think we might talk about? Backstories, a lot of backstories, a lot of unnecessary politics, uh, show management, uh, just a ton of things. Uh, a lot of controversial characters on that show. Uh, as we used the term on Spudnik Monroe earlier dressing room lawyers were, we had a full staff of dressing room lawyers at that time. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of backstory to talk about there. And some of the matches, quite frankly, were good. Absolutely. And we're going to break it down. The good, the bad, and the ugly, everything in between next week, right here, clash of the champions, 13, stay tuned, tell a friend about your new favorite wrestling podcast. It's good old Jr. And we hope that you guys don't miss the pay-per-view this weekend. If you're going to be like me, you're going to have some barbecue because that's what you do on college football Saturday. And this is a triple whammy. Not only do you get college football, but you get the AEW pay-per-view and Tony Schiavone. It's his birthday. And Tony Schiavone has told me in his honor, he wants you to go to jrsbbq.com. He wants you to pick <laughs> up the barbecue sauce. He wants you to get this all purpose seasoning. He wants you to try the Chipotle ketchup. You got to try some of this main event mustard. And maybe most of all, you got to get this book under the black hat. I continue to see positive reviews. Every time I scroll through our Twitter feed, people are loving what you're doing over at jrsbbq.com, Jim. Well, we, you know, we've been mentioning this here on our show and I, I really thank you. And I think that the, thank the audience for indulging us. It's just the fact that, you know, with the COVID as it is, uh, we're dependent upon, uh, online sales 
And I, I really want this uh, holiday season uh, to be a, a, a good one, a profitable one, quite frankly, being honest. And, uh, and, and I, I love seeing our products go into other folks' home. They use them. They send us pictures. They put it on, they put it on Twitter, or Instagram, or Facebook, wherever it may be. It makes me feel good because I know that my mother and my, and Jan were so, uh, emotionally invested in this product, this line. And so I, I just look at it as a kind of a thank you to them in, in a lot of ways, but not maybe the right term, but nonetheless, uh, we're going to take care of our, our, our customers. We're not going to let you down. We're going to have great customer service, you know, uh, or we work seven days a week there. You know, my, my team there is there. They don't take any days off, especially right now during the, uh, the, the, the push to the holidays. I want to so mention, give, I heard one of your pals wanted to go to the football game and he was all excited about it. And you told him, fuck you ship the sauce. We got it. We need you. We got to have you here. You're important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. Well, you know what Shivani's getting for his birthday? The little rascal, a hug uh, from Britt Baker and, uh, Reb, uh, Reba. Yeah, that'd be good. And he'll also get some sauce. Tony's a big user of this, of the seasoning. Oh yeah. We all are. He, he it is, it's, it's magic. It's a, it's a magic deal. I'm telling you. Uh, so it, yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be a fun pay-per-view. And again, back to my, I was losing my thoughts or too prematurely. I thank you guys for indulging me and Conrad for, for promoting this stuff. It's great. If it was a gimmick folks. And, and, and I would tell you, but it's good stuff. It is good. It, yeah. It's gluten-free. It's, it's the mustard is as healthy as you can get. It's got a personality. I love that. So, uh, we appreciate that. So jrsbbq.com does not close. We're open 24 seven. And as a rule, we try to shift the orders out, uh, the day that they're, uh, the next day that they're received. Uh, I've been in, in Florida. Uh, so the book signings have, have been sluggish. We're going to catch up on that Im immediately. And then going into the holidays that will necessitate me coming home more, uh, to Oklahoma to sign books because we're personalizing them. I can sign a bunch of books before I leave, but that's, that's not the deal. People want personalized. They want to give something to a friend or a relative or a husband or a whatever, or buddy. And they want it personalized. It was something that would mean be meaningful to the recipient. So I got to do that with my own, you know, a book at a time. So, uh, we're, we're on top of it and, uh, we think it's going to be a, a fun season and I, I enjoy the interaction and another way to interact with our fans, another way, uh, to, uh, enjoin them. And I, I certainly appreciate everything that they do for me. And uh, it's a, it's a credit for my mom and, my, and Jan. And, and that's all the reason I need. I don't need to know what the profit loss is going to be at the end of the day. It's going to be what it is, but for people to enjoy products that my family has developed is important to me. And I thank you guys for it. And we thank you for all your support over at adfreeshows.com. We're off to one heck of a start. You've seen some of the big announcements coming down. And of course, Mike Kyoto and Gerald Briscoe and Dr. Tom and Medusa and rebel and. There's so much new content, lots of interactive, lots of video, uh, lots of prizes, lots of giveaways. Uh, but our conversation series and our championship belt series has people really, really intrigued. I hope you'll check it out. You'll get all of these shows early and ad free. 
And later this month, you'll start seeing these shows on video. So you get to see, uh, Jim and I react to each other and that could be fun at different times. So stay tuned. <laughs> Appreciate all your support at adfreeshows.com. He is at JR's BBQ. I am at, Hey, Hey, it's Conrad and we are out of time. We'll see you next week right here for clash of the champions. 13 Thanksgiving thunder on grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross and heavy on the damn mister. Cause I need a push. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.